Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about uh, life, theology, and the church in the culture. My name is Derek Rishmaui. Uh, I am joined by most of our cast and crew, Matthew Lee Anderson and Alistair Roberts. Uh, Andrew Wilson, unfortunately, can't be with us today. He's doing something Wilson-y. Um, but yeah, we're just going to jump into it here. Today, we want to take up the issue of curiosity. Um, and that's that's kind of an, a, an odd word or an odd concept for, for many of us to, to, to think about. Um, but not, not just curiosity in general, but curiosity in, in its classic sense. It's classically been deemed by the Christian tradition to be a vice um, as opposed to a virtue where there's something counterintuitive to many of us uh, when we when we hear about curiosity as a vice. Uh, most of us think in a, you know common parlance curiosity is a good thing. Curiosity gets things done. Curiosity you know launches inquiry. Uh, curiosity fuels the the fires of discovery. Um, but to think of curiosity as a vice seems a bit counterintuitive, but that's that's what the Christian tradition has claimed for a while. Um, and today we want to take that up and kind of examine that. And, and we want to do that partially by um, discussing an essay, or at least launching off of an essay, by John Webster, uh, entitled Curiosity, in his uh, book, The Domain of the Word. Um, so that's what we want to do this morning, and to kind of get us going, uh, obviously we're going to kick it to Alistair. So Alistair, any thoughts here on curiosity? We're, we're, we're wondering what you think about that. <laughs> I found Webster's essay incredibly thought-provoking and also challenging. I suppose perhaps the thing that most made me think was the challenge within our day and age of the amount of information that we take in and the amount of theological reading and study we do and how easy it is for that not to issue forward issue forth in actual activity or actual worship or anything that actually moves that beyond merely feeding an appetite of the mind our desire to know more and a desire that is not ordered towards any proper end, but is merely out of that um, notion of curiosity. Whereas what Webster highlights is the importance of contrasting that with the proper order of our desire for knowledge, which is studiousness, which is ordered towards the proper end of worshipping and understanding and contemplating God's truth and who God is. There's one particular quote from St. St. Bernard that I thought was quite powerful within the essay itself that might be worth discussing. Food that is badly cooked and indigestible induces physical disorders and damages the body instead of nourishing it. In the same way, if a glut of knowledge is stuffed into the memory, that stomach of the mind has not been cooked on the fire of love and transfused and digested by certain skills of the soul, its habits and actions, since, as life and conduct bear witness, the mind is rendered good through its knowledge of good, will not that good be rendered sinful? I found that a tremendously challenging statement, not least because so much of our reading and activity on the internet as theologians is ordered just by this constant accumulation and taking in of new information. And there's very little actual digestion taking place. And so one of the questions I have is, 
how can we encourage that process of theological digestion, of reflection, of meditation, of contemplation in an age where the very manner in which we do theology and talk about theology seems to encourage a curiosity to no end. Um, so one of the I, things, the, the, let me let me chime in here, Derek. So one of the, one of the things that I think um, would be helpful to discuss for those at home who haven't uh, read the article would be just what the um, qualitative difference between curiosity and studiousness as a virtue is. Um, I, you know, I, I mentioned the vice of curiosity in my second book and I've talked about it with, um, uh, uh, students and, uh, other groups. And because it's so counterintuitive, I've, I find that lots of people get hung up on, um, sort of the, the, the intuition that well, coming to know things is obviously good. You know, who wouldn't want to know all of these things, you know, evangelicals right. particularly have spent the last 30 years um, talking about the need for the life of the mind and our anti-intellectual heritage. And we're just now coming around to realize, oh, knowledge is great. And now you're telling us that we can do it all wrong. Um, uh, right. And the answer is yes. Right. Yes. Th there are ways in which um, the love of knowledge goes wrong. Um and it yeah, seems so like that it goes, yeah, it goes wrong in two ways. One is um, the actual ends, but the actual like things known are the wrong things that we should be knowing. They're not, uh, they're not things for us to know. So um, the recent Ashley Madison scandal, um, we are all implicated in that by the vice of curiosity. Um, lots of people did, uh, wrong things in signing up for that website, but so many more of us have been tempted to, or have, um, looked at the details of what those people did with a kind of, um, desire to revel in them for no other purpose than, just the satisfaction of our own um, immediate interest in them. And I think that's one way in which the love of knowledge goes wrong. And the other, the, the other would be just the kind of manner, um, the, uh, the means by which we strive to know the things that we ought know. Um, and Derek, you, you mentioned Webster's article. He does a really good job of laying those out. You know, it's entangled by pride. We, we want to know, the right things, but for our own, uh, self-aggrandizement. Um, uh, you know, we want to know the right things, but we want to know them too much, uh, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. but I, it's well, helpful, well, I think for people to realize that those are the two ways that a love of learning can go wrong. Well, and actually Webster, so, you know, he relates curiosity and studiousness, you know, studiousness and curiosity are both two forms two relations to knowledge, two ways of coming to know, but studiousness has the proper end and mode and mean and all that kind of stuff. And curious is the deformation of it, but he actually, he has four, four elements of curiosity in that, you know, like he said, that element of, okay, wanting to know that, which you shouldn't know there, you know, there are limits in the garden. Um, there's, there's the, um, 
the way of going about it, right? You can go about it pridefully. You can go about it um, in a sense voraciously, inordinately. Uh, but then he also has two others. He's he's got this, um, you know, chasing knowledge for the wrong ends. So you can be inordinately wanting to know, but you can also just want to know uh, so that you can be smart. You know, puff yourself up, and or in order to gain power. But the one that was interesting to me. I mean, they're all interesting. One that was interesting to me, and um, we'll come back to, I want to come back to Alistair's question, but I just wanted to register this for us to talk about later, is um, his second way, you know, it's a way of learning about the world, created realities without referring them to to their creator. Um, it's, it's a desire to know things without kind of pushing on to see their relation to God and his glory. So Augustine called it, uh, it's a way of eating earth in a sense. So, um, yeah, that, that was just a fascinating, I, I want to draw on that later, especially when it comes to the way well, curiosity infects theology. But, um, no, Derek, I think, I think it actually is that that last part is directly tied to what Alistair was saying about um, the nature of curiosity on the internet and yeah. um, uh, our, um, our rampant consumption of uh, information of various sorts. So um, one of the, uh, Webster's last line is in that section is curiosity terminates on surfaces which is to say it, it rests content or it only seeks to know um, the top level information about a thing. Uh, it only reads the headlines, as it were. Um, and so it doesn't uh, linger. It doesn't um, contemplate and uh, meditate on objects, anything beyond how they present themselves to us. Uh, and the fact is that the um there's there's one whole part of the the internet which is the um viral video internet the um triviality internet the um uh the buzzfeed cat photos internet and that entire phenomenon seems to me to be a phenomenon of um satiating people's interest, short-term intellectual interest to encounter a, a, an interesting surface that has no substance. Um, uh, that, that just, there's nothing there to contemplate about or to linger on. Um, and one, one sign that I think our age is an age dominated by curiosity is the uh, rampant, voracious appetite for cat videos. Um, and hey. you know, it, hey, I hey, sound, hey. I know I sound, I was going to say, man, I, you're just I an know, old I, man. You're just an old, just hardened, angry man. I know. I that know. would be troubled if he realizes how many cat videos I've linked in his absence from Twitter. We we just <laughs> lost so many listeners right now. I know. Dude. I I will say Let me just um, register my disagreement with Matt at this point. I, I would too, but for properly and for properly theological reasons. But go uh, on, I'll let you I'll no, let you continue to 
No, I mean, like, I have to, like, it's a confession now in this context. But if someone posts a wedding video, oh, yeah, I'm totally there watching it. Um, you know, I, I love the fun things that people do at weddings. That's one of my favorite things to watch on the Internet. So I get it. Um, all, all of these observations and reflections are rooted in failure, as so much of my, the rest of my life is. Jeez, um, buddy. <laughs> But it is a real, but but I will stand by the point. I I will also just say that um, it's trying to extricate ourselves. There's a question about how we live uh, within this environment. And um, I'm, I think some of us just have to extricate ourselves entirely. Part of the reason why I left Twitter for a season and quit blogging was to try to engage in more contemplation and to quell the actual curiosity that I feel like I've been subject to, uh, for the last, uh, however long. Well, and, and Matt, here's where you I, talk I, about, I say, you talk oh, about you cat videos, but you talk about cat videos, but one of the areas I think that is most relevant to what, um, Webster is talking about here is a sort of intellectual, um, curiosity I would say is reflected on the internet in our appetite for hot takes always this new reflection on something that has just taken place that is not designed to issue forth an action or change of character and commitment to anything beyond ourselves. It's just to satisfy our curiosity for something clever and smart being said about some new phenomenon. Um, And it's that sort of activity of intellectuals and theologians, particularly when it takes place by theologians, it's um, appalling as... Theology is a sort of parlor game, something that we play to impress each other, but actually is not designed for any greater end than our own entertainment. And I've read so many pieces online um, just within the past week that would seem to fall into this category. They're just hot takes. They're just designed to entertain our minds and to make us feel that the author is clever and doing something smart, but we're not actually going to do anything with that knowledge. That knowledge is not used for any telos. It's actually just encouraging us to detach knowledge from action, to detach it from reflection, contemplation, and all of the things that knowledge should be ordered towards. Well, yeah, well, I want to follow up on this because this was the point I wanted to make close to it. Um, A... Again, caveos can just be some mild entertainment. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, but B, though, um, at the intellectual level, uh, I, I'm thinking the hot takes, is that's a great example. I'm also thinking of the kind of um, kind of religious studies and theological studies that just degenerates into a form of, yeah, the, the eating earth, the, the surface level... Um, I'm just going to chase down this little detail um, for its own sake, unrelated to any broader spiritual purposes. There are times, I think, you know, when, when you know, in biblical studies or, or um, philosophical studies, where, where you got to chase down the odd detail. What does that Ugaritic text say about this, you know, particular way of parsing that verb? That, that plays out somehow. And, you know, knowledge in itself is, is good, you know. But there, there becomes a point where where you see um, theological students and even past people, not even just talking about 
PhD or master's, but it, this is a danger. I'm thinking, I, you know, I'm at, I'm at a seminary right now and I think about that danger that comes with, you know, I'm just going to chase down this subject because it's kind of interesting and, um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to chase it down and whether or not it actually has any spiritual value, um, I don't know, I'm going to make myself an expert on this out of surface level. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm putting my finger on what I'm, what I'm thinking about here, but, um, especially in the academic scene, especially with the, 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 the pressure and the force of specialization and the, the theological studies, whether it's historical or biblical or systematic, whatever, can turn into an exercise in curiosity. And this is why you have a proliferation of just weird dissertations on how can I put this odd spin on this text that nobody has had before because I want to forward some unique thesis and we eat it up because, hey, it's a new way of looking at this text um, that's you know connected to Zizek or whoever it is. Uh, whether or not it's actually a convincing read of the text. So I don't know. I, I just rambled, but I, you, you guys have been yeah. in the academy longer. Well, so I'm, I'm just curious what you guys are thinking on that. So two things. Um, one, uh, I would say I disagree with where I'm worried about. I don't know that I disagree with it yet, but I would question the necessary link between knowledge and action. Um that Alistair seems to have drawn. I think that there's actually a real and substantive place for a form of contemplation that is not um, tied towards practical activity. Now, it needs to be set within the context of a I mentioned whole life. Contemplation. I mentioned contemplation yeah. alongside action as a form of action. I don't see it as something that is opposed to action. It is a form of action. Okay, well, I've, I have questions about that. Um, but the other thing that I would say is um, I didn't, I, confession, I'm, I'm confessing a lot today. Um, uh, this is confess your unpopular opinion, apparently. I didn't particularly like the Webster essay. Um, uh, I thought it was uh, not, it missed out on some important aspects of the vice a, as traditionally you're understood. You're a bad man, Matt. You are a bad man. I know. Man. <laughs> I know. We, we all knew that, Derek. Um, so one of the things he doesn't emphasize uh, that, has my, that Augustine emphasizes certainly uh, when it comes to curiosity is the impetus towards novelty. Uh, and Derek, you were kind of getting at this with the... Um, with what's required with a structural requirement for doctoral dissertations, um, which is that you say something new um, uh, in order to qualify yourself to teach in our contemporary academy. Uh, make of uh, <laughs> that what you will. Um, classically, uh, for Augustine, one indicator of the vice of curiosity is that it revels in the newness for its own sake. It stops at something because it's new. Um, and that's that becomes the kind of point of knowledge. Um, and I, I think, I think that that's Webster actually a real that problem. Up. I Did thought he, he did I too. The other thing, though, 
I'm just going to push it. I'm going to keep criticizing. And maybe I just didn't read it closely enough. But um, he doesn't emphasize comprehensivity. So one thing that curiosity wants is knowledge of everything. Um, uh, It won't rest content with a limited knowledge. And you can see this. So modernity, uh, which is the period of the world wherein curiosity ceased to be a vice, is aimed structurally at comprehensive knowledge. The encyclopedia promises or attempts to sort of promise um, a uh, wide-ranging, as comprehensive amount of information as possible, and certainly that's what Wikipedia delivers. Um, and again, if you want to consider our uh, uh, what's required for doctoral dissertations, in order to be an expert in a field, you are expected to have comprehensively mastered all of the relevant literature. Um, uh, and you can't claim to be a member of the academy until you do that. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of that desire for comprehensivity plays into these kinds of hot take situations that Alex was talking about where you know it has no immediate bearing on my life. It has no immediate bearing necessarily on anyone's lives. But there's something there, you know, that I feel like I need to know so that I can kind of know everything about what's going on. Yeah. Alistair? At some points in um, a couple of points in Webster's essay, he makes the point, for instance, um, towards the end, he says, curiosity dissipates the theological intellect by giving itself to whatever enchanting objects catch its fancy. Studiousness is intelligence concentrated. Well, that was a particularly important point. Mm. And earlier on, he observes the way that theology, with its emphasis as part of the process of becoming competent in theology, you need to become competent in literary studies, in the use of certain languages, in understanding history and all these other things. And that, he argues, can be a temptation into this sort of curiosity that distracts theology from its primary purpose. And that's one of the things that does concern me in a lot of... um, theology that you have smart people writing theology but just cultural trivia and things that are of little consequence in terms of our actual service of God rather it becomes here's a clever theological thing that I can say about this phenomenon that's out there and rather than thinking how is theology supposed to serve the church and equip us to glorify God to understand God more appropriately and to understand ourselves in the light of God's truth it becomes just a sort of game that we play a way of showing how clever we are that we can comment on something and make some theological point about it I've written pieces like that and it's definitely a danger that we fall into the trap of just thinking that the ability to say something theological about everything is a good thing. There are times when we need to think there are more important things that I could be doing with my time. And there's it, a particular, the, this, there are some particular yeah. verses in Scripture that I think are bearing upon this. Um, this description by Paul of people who are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and also the the verse in Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, where talks about trying to remember what it says the hidden things belong 
to the Lord, but the revealed things to us and to our children that we may serve God and obey the words of this law or something like that. And that, I think, is a very good description of the bounds of proper Christian knowledge. Yeah, there's there's so, two things. So, Wait, yeah. I was going to say with the uh, the one thing is one on the on the I'm saying on like the cultural analysis cultural analysis end. I feel that one acutely. I mean, I, I've I've written about uh, you know I started out writing a lot of my stuff was on pop culture analysis from a theological end, and yeah, there's that way that it can. There's a danger there, and I think a promise there. I think there is a proper place for analyzing pop culture to the degree that a it's a it's a human artifact right um and b to the sense that we become discerning people right proper christian discernment there's a certain kind of analysis that helps cultivate proper christian discernment in the in you know the the culture that we inhabit inevitably but yeah there is that there is that um there's that danger then of just turning it into the parlor trick that um yeah i've i've I felt that temptation as well. It's like I got it. Oh, here's a thing I can I can apply the, you know, the ascension to that or something like. It degenerates into that and it feeds that curiosity. Um, the other thing was that second point you made about the um, the secret things belonging to the Lord in the verse before that. Oh yeah, there we go. Um, our inability and Matt, you 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 put your finger on this in your book, uh, the end of our. Uh, you put you put your finger on this that element of our need to never reach a conclusion like it's it's inauthentic for so many in our age category or millennials to to think that we we can never actually reach a a theological conclusion and if you are settled on a subject if you have ceased your wrestling or maybe you never really had some angsty moment where you doubted a particular doctrine that it's not authentically yours in that sense and that 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 the true pursuit of knowledge is is, you know it's always going in that sense that is a particularly aggressive and destructive dimension to curiosity that i think plagues our um i don't know age category of 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 people uh in a way that it's frustrating and you see it all over the blogs and you see it all over the common discussion boards. And, uh, that, that one I think is at the pop level, one of the more, more frustrating, uh, dimensions to just thinking about curiosity. Uh, yeah. Matt? So, so, um, you know, with respect to what Alex is saying about the, um, disconnect between opinion and action, um, I would simply commend uh, to listeners, the Oliver O'Donovan quote that is embedded in my uh, the the final post that I did at Mirror Orthodoxy earlier this year, um, the particularly the last half of the last paragraph, um, where. <laughs> He, uh, he says quite explicitly, sharpening our arrows of opinion and firing them off at actors they will never reach, pronouncing judgments that involve us in no actual responsibility. We go through the motions of playing a part in the great communicative drama and so work off the surplus, the surplus active impulses before turning to the tasks that actually lie before us. We may perhaps feel more resolute about those tasks as a result of the exercise, but this is not the result of anything we have learned. 
And it's that final bit, not being the result of anything that we have learned, um, uh, that it makes me think that, um, the curious, that, that, the, the dominant, the, the, the curiousness of our age, um, uh, of our ethos that affects so many of us, um, actually like we aren't it's it's a facade we're not learning the things that we actually need to learn um uh well we're sort of being um satiated with a form of knowledge without the actual substance of it um and that's a trick right it means that um for all of the noble intentions of many of us that have in contributing to this great communicative drama uh, that we may actually be obscuring the very things that people need to be thinking about and uh, uh, need to be contemplating by our participation in it. And I don't know how you discover those real things, but if you like, that is why I mentally could no longer write on a blog because the form of contribution potentially. Um, actually distracts from uh, what people really need to, 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 to know. The other thing, that the one line that um, fascinated me in uh, Webster's article that I w- would love to hear your guys' thoughts on, um, it's such an intriguing connection that I really, it's, it's amazing to me. He says, curiosity also does this. Uh, the curious, Bernard, St. Bernard says, are strangers to the sadness, godly sorrow, which comes from knowledge of God and of ourselves, and their pursuit of knowledge leads only to self-importance. Strangers to the sadness is such an evocative line, and I wonder, I wonder the extent to which... Um, our willingness to be satiated with surfaces is connected with our unwillingness to be sad, both about our own lives and about the state of the world. Um, and I, I just, I just don't know what to make of that. What do you guys have? Can you help me sort that out? I, I, um, I know that for myself that, you know, Distraction is a dimension of, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's a dimension there. Um, our surface level attempts, you know, our, 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 our distraction services, I think can easily be attempts to avoid sadness, to attempts to avoid, uh, thinking about the realities that would make us come to grips with, you know, all what what truly and deeply ails us um that's it kind of reminds me of pascal's comments on on boredom and distraction in in the in the modern period but um yeah i don't know beyond that what to say other than i think that's a point i think that's real i think i've seen it um alistair i would say that there is a a natural tendency within this curiosity to 
take the position of the spectator, the person who stands to remove, a person who feels constantly the sense of irony but needs no need feels no need for it to be resolved someone who can be cynical without despairing and i think that's very much a part of our curiosity our curiosity and our constant takes on what's problematic or not can insulate us from reality a reality that might claim our loyalty a re- reality that might cause us to mourn um that might present us as people who are at risk, as people who are invested and people who have something at stake. And this adoption of the position of the spectator who's always causing, calling action and reality into question is part of our means by which we insulate ourselves from its claims. And those things that might call us to act in a particular way to um, give certain people, show a duty towards certain people or to be people who are at risk before the truth, people who might have to have our lives changed by the truth. And that alienation from the sadness and tragedy and the um, the struggle of life is often part and parcel of this curiosity. The other thing is, I mean the proliferation of information of all kinds, there is a sense in which you're going to be inundated with something, right? Um, There's almost a given. Well, I'm I'm going to find out extraordinary amounts of information about something. Might as well be the trivial. I I I can't take, I can't take, you know, the news for 24 hours. I can't take the crushing knowledge of all the other things. Yeah. All the other things that claim us, there's a certain level of, man, we have, we have, we have way too much knowledge of those things that kind of exert a moral claim on us that exert, that call out for our our pity, our compassion, our anger, our pain, Um, you know, turn on CNN or something that people actually watch or whatever. Um, So I, I would rather just look at hours of, of this, I, w- I would rather look at hours of BuzzFeed or, I mean, I don't, but, but, you know, there, there's a level of, I, I will distract myself because otherwise, what are my options? Right. I, I'd rather and, have that. I, yeah, I don't know. And, there's, there's something there. And one, and one option would be knowing less about the places which are not immediately connected to my own sphere of practical action. Yeah. And, becoming more um, uh, aware of the sorrows and so on within my immediate sphere of practical action where I can engage in the kind of activity to alleviate those sorrows, um, which has a therapeutic effect on my own life um, because I'm acting. Um, and so knowing knowing less about the world, paradoxically, um, is it's 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 an important good <laughs> well less at the surface the, the accumulation the of the accumulation of knowledge also has the danger of leaving us paralyzed in indecision um it's one of the great ways of yeah. eating away at any sort of drive towards action any external authority um 
for instance, in the case of scripture, when we have pervasive interpretive pluralism, there are so many different opinions out there, so many different ways of reading this passage. We just shrug our shoulders. Who knows what it means? In the same way, when we have so much information pummeling us from the world, we just can feel paralyzed. We don't know what to do about it. I think along that lines, there's also this danger of when we're constantly consuming information about the world and often we do it for this very reason we don't have time to digest that information to reflect upon it and to think what does this mean for me there's just this process of constantly consuming as a means of distracting us from digesting truth that might be deeply transformative which we don't necessarily want and and this this re- this leads me to and I I'm I feel like we got to wrap up here, but it, it leads me to back to a note that I care about is um, study in seminary. Um, there's a real danger of study and curiosity in seminary because um, you're just consuming a massive amount, you know, depending on the seminary, you're consuming a massive amount of knowledge about the scriptures, about God, about all these kinds of things. And if there is not uh, some sort of kind of release valve, some sort of um, way of processing all this beyond papers, you know, beyond a, a presentation, then, um, yeah, the, going back to that quote that you brought up in the, in the, in the, towards the beginning, Alistair, there's a danger of this going bad, you know, in our stomachs, uh, of it causing, um, I, I've just seen it go bad. This is, this is why I was so, I was so grateful that I had to, and I got to, be um, an intern at my local high school ministry when I was in seminary. I mean, it was it was a different project. When I had to go to class, study these you know texts, and then think, all right, well, I got to teach some fifteen year olds tomorrow. Um, let let me think about it in that light, and it and it starts to change the way and 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 the challenge and the struggle and the responsibility. And the opportunity to process all that study in the ecclesial context, um, it humbles and it redirects and it reshapes and it it, it puts um I don't know I think it puts a curb a, a check on some of the ways that curiosity uh, can creep into studiousness. Um, so I guess if, I, if we close with anything, I'm you know I'm taking the prerogative here uh for especially any any seminarians listening to this um or people who know seminarians and i'd I'd imagine that's a good chunk um you know either either just being in the church context or serving in the church context um during your seminary studies i think is is actually crucial um so important uh for you uh in your studies so that your studiousness does not degenerate into curiosity um, for your sake and for the sake of any, any future church that you are a, a member of or a pastor of. Um, fellas, any last things to add on top? Kind of wrap it up? No, I think I'm, I've said my piece and more. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> I about was afterwards. I was struck at the end, the way that Webster focuses upon the work of the Spirit, that the intellect needs to be encompassed within 
the work of the Spirit in sanctifying us. It says the double movement of renouncing irreligion and worldly passions and embracing sobriety, uprightness and godliness extends into the work of reason, including theological reason. And that's one of the takeaways for me, that Christian reason has to be a spiritual mastery of the passions and a practice of Christian virtue. It can never just be having a, a mind that works very well. It has to be ordered towards the good and it has to be renewed by the spirit if it's to be of any use. That's a, that's a great note to end on. Uh, so if you've been listening with us, uh, thanks for thanks for giving us your time. We, pray right now, we, we ask right now that you would um, maybe consider writing a review on iTunes for us if you enjoyed this or sharing it around. Uh, we still do need reviews and we still do need people to share if you think this is a valuable resource. So, um, once again, blessings and uh, good day. Catch you next time.